Good morning, troops. My name is Tony Martinez. I spent some time in the United States Marine Corps, and I went to basic training back in 1985. And today I want to welcome you to a different type of basic training. There will be no push-ups, no tear gas, no belittling, and no browbeating. For this new year, we will be doing a different type of basic training as we begin this new year. We will be focusing on our faith in the military. During basic training, they break you down and build you up to what they think, that you, what they believe. During our basic training, we will be breaking down our faith to its very foundation and building that back up upon that foundation. In the military, we had a field manual. A lot of the troops called it their book of knowledge. And in that knowledge, we found out that there were two types of command. Your preparatory command and your command of execution. Your preparatory command tells you what you're going to do. The command of execution tells you when to do it. As in the command, Alatan, hip! Alatan being the preparatory command, hip being the command of execution. That is usually followed with no less than three, is that understood, and one, I can't hear you. During our basic training, we have a field manual also. You can call it a book of knowledge, but it is the Holy Bible. It is God's Word, and within it, you will find that there are two types of command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. And the second is just like the first. Love your neighbor as you do yourself. During this basic training, we will be going over First and Second Peter. I will be handing this over to Sean pretty soon. But before I do, I want every one of you to hold up your field manual. And sound off when I say, the purpose of the first Christian church is to love God, love others, and spread the gospel. At ease, I'll be in the area all day. At this time, we'd like to dismiss the young kids to go out for kids' worship. Thank you, Tony. Thank you very much. How many of you jumped out of your skin when he came out of that room and screamed? That's right. What in the world is going on here? Welcome to 2013, and welcome to BASIC. This is a new series that we begin this morning based on First and Second Peter. This is where we're going to be the first half of this year. We're going to start this morning. We're going to go through First Peter up through uh, Easter Sunday or through Palm Sunday. And then following Resurrection Sunday, we will go through Second Peter uh, up until Mother's Day. So we're going to spend a lot of time in First and Second Peter here in 2013 as we talk about what it means to go through this kind of basic training that we are going to go through. We're going to talk a lot about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a a fully devoted, a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. Because at its very foundation, that is what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who follows Jesus Christ. And so the books of First and Second Peter uh, have a lot to say about the very basics of our faith. Peter was writing to a, a very diverse audience. He wrote this letter to the uh, five Roman provinces 
of Asia Minor. And we'll talk about those in just a moment. If you uh, grab your field manual, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read the first two verses. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And the books of 1 and 2 Peter are letters. They were circulatory letters. Letters that were designed to be circulated among the churches. And so Peter writes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So we see that in, a, in typical first century fashion, Peter begins his letter. He identifies himself as the author, and he is an apostle of Jesus. He is one of the ones who spent time with Jesus, one of his closest friends, one of his closest disciples. And we all know who Peter is. Peter's a guy who had great moments. He had uh, moments of great faith, like when he walked on water. Could you imagine walking on water on the surface of the sea? And there's Peter walking on the surface of the sea out to Jesus. He also had moments of failure, moments when he didn't quite measure up, such as when he was walking on the water, he took his eyes off of Jesus, saw the wind and the waves, and he began to sink. Or even worse, on the day that he denied even knowing Jesus three times. Denied knowing him. Well, you were with him. No, I wasn't. I don't know what you're talking about. He denied knowing his best friend. Could you imagine? denying knowing your best friend some of you are thinking well my best friend is my spouse and there'd be times i'd like to deny knowing them no no but uh we'll talk about husbands and wives in a few weeks so uh, we'll deal with that but peter had great moments of faith and he made some terrible mistakes too so he identifies himself as the author of this letter and he also identifies his audience and like i said these are the five roman provinces of asia minor Asia Minor is, is nowadays Turkey. Uh, that's where Asia Minor is. And it's to the north and to the west of Israel. So the gospel had proceeded to go forth uh, out of Jerusalem and out of Israel. Now it's moving into the area of Turkey and it's going to Greece and Rome and places like that. So the gospel is spreading throughout the, the Mediterranean this book was written, this letter was written in the early part of the 60s. Not the 1960s, but the 60s, like the original 60s, A.D., about 61 or 62. So about 30 years after Jesus had been crucified, uh, after he was raised from the dead, about 30 years after the beginning of the church. So the church, like I said, the gospel's been going forth. The gospel's uh, been spread throughout the, the region. And people are learning and they're growing. And, and now we're, we're seeing that people kind of need a refresher in, in what they believe. They need to have some more instruction and more training in what they believe. And the same goes for us. Whether you've been walking with Christ for a month, two months, whether you've been walking with Christ for a year or two years, or 30 or 40 or 50 years, no matter how long you've been walking with Christ, there's always good to have refreshers. Sometimes we need uh, that refresher in our faith, to be reminded of what it is that we believe, and not just what we believe, but to be reminded of why we believe it. 
And so that's why we're going to talk about First and Second Peter here at the beginning of 2013. Like I said, this was a circular letter. It's a letter that was circulated among these churches in these five Roman provinces. And it's a letter of encouragement. It is a, a very, very encouraging letter to the people uh, who were the first followers uh, in these regions. It is a letter meant to encourage them in their faith, to have them to help them grow in their faith, to learn more about their faith, uh, and to be strengthened in their faith. And that's what we want to do. That's the, the purpose of this sermon series uh, as we begin 2013, is to encourage one another. I want to encourage you by the Word of God to grow in your faith. We want to, like I said um, earlier in the service, our theme for the year is following forward. And I believe that God is always on the move, that God is moving forward, and that he longs for us to go with him. He longs for us to follow Jesus forward into the bright future that he has for us. And he talks a little bit about this glorious hope, this glorious future here in this passage, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. So today we're looking at what Peter has to say about faith. This is where we're going to begin. We're going to look at three elements of faith that Peter talks about here in chapter 1. So uh, the title of this sermon is uh, A Basic Faith. And uh, if you would grab your handy-dandy outline, it's on the back page of your bulletin. Grab the handy-dandy outline, and we're going to look at a basic faith. We're going to fill in the blanks there on the back, and we're going to start right off here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5, through 5, as we talk about these three elements of faith. The first element is faith's protection. Look at verses 3 through 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So we see that the first element of faith is faith's protection. And faith's protection is God's power. So the first blanks on your outline is is faith's protection, God's power. The power of God. The power of God is activated in our lives when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we are given this living hope, a living hope by God's mercy. This is not just some ordinary ho-hum kind of hope. This isn't just some kind of a wish upon a star, a little cricket singing on your shoulder. We're talking about a real hope that comes from knowing Jesus. And it's a living hope because Jesus is alive. He was crucified. He was buried. He was dead. But on the third day, God raised him from the dead. To the glory of God the Father, he raised him from the dead. And brought him back to life. And now Jesus is alive forevermore. He is a risen Savior. And that is where our living hope is found. In this risen Savior. Resurrected from the dead. We are raised. uh, He was raised to give us hope. And one of the very basics of our faith. One of the basic aspects of our faith. Is hope. And hope in a resurrection. Not just in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, but in our own resurrection. That God will one day raise us from the dead. In the book of Romans, it talks about, in Romans chapter 6, it talks about how we who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized 
into his death. And just as Jesus was raised, one day we too will be raised. That even if we die, that even if we pass from this life, we know that there is hope of a resurrection, that our bodies will be resurrected and we will be with the Lord forever. That is the living hope that we have. Jesus is a risen Savior. He is a living Savior. Unlike any other religious leader in the history of the world, you can find their tombs or you can find the the evidence of their passing. There is no other religious leader who has ever been raised from the dead as Jesus was raised from the dead. Abraham and Moses, they died. Muhammad died. Millions of people make a pilgrimage to his tomb every year. You know why? Because he's inside. Buddha died. Gandhi died. They've all died. Jesus died, but the difference is he was raised. Raised to life, raised to live forevermore, forever and ever and ever. And the great news, the the grave could not hold him back. The grave could not hold him down. Jesus is alive. And the same power, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the power of the Holy Spirit, that same power is in you and is in me. The power to conquer the grave. The power to conquer death. The power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. And yet there are times when we feel so powerless. There are times we feel so weak. Weak against temptation. Weak against tests. Weak against trials. We feel so powerless. And yet we see that there is power in us that comes by the Holy Spirit. We do have power available to us. Will we tap into that power? That is the question. This awesome power that lives in us, that protects us from fear by faith in the Son of God. We don't have to be afraid of the future. The Bible says that we have a glorious hope, that we have a glorious future. How many of you are afraid of the future? Man, we saw this like few weeks ago with the, the Mayan calendar, you know, and the Mayan calendar was going to... Anybody notice how much the Mayan calendar looked like an Oreo cookie? Could be that I'm just hungry, but but people looking at the Mayan calendar saying, oh, it ends in 2012, but what's going to happen if the world comes to an end? They made a really bad movie about it. And, and so you know, everybody wants to know, what's going to happen in 2012? Is the world going to come to an end? And people were scared and people were terrified. I got nothing to be afraid of. I don't have to be afraid of the future because I know who's already there. I don't have to be afraid of the future because the Bible says here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5 through 5, that I have a glorious future. Not based on any good deed I've done. Not based on any great sermon I've preached. Maybe waiting for one of those still, but it'll come. We are given a glorious future in heaven. And Peter says that it will never perish. It will never spoil. It will never fade. It's not going to die. It is incorruptible. And it cannot be defiled. And it will never fade away. Heaven is always there for us. Heaven is waiting for us. I love the picture in the book of Hebrews that talks about we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses cheering us on as we head to our heavenly home. That the people who have gone before, who have the people of great people of faith, and Hebrews chapter 11 is all about these great people of faith. And I love how it talks about how they are cheering us on as we get home. You know, one of my favorite parts of the Olympics is the marathon. Because at the marathon, it always ends on the last day of the Olympics, and it ends as people come into a packed stadium. 
And I see this as a picture of the marathon of the Christian life. The Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a journey of faith. It takes a long time. It, it, you, know, you don't just start and stop. It, it's, it's a long process of growth. And it's, it's three steps forward, two steps back. It's two steps forward, three steps back. It's, it's constant you know, ebb and flow. I'm getting stronger. I feel weak. I'm getting better. I'm doing worse. But we're always going in the same direction. Just like a marathon runner doesn't turn around and run backwards, doesn't run back to the finish line. The marathon runner runs all the way to the finish line. And I get this image from Hebrews of, of here, Sean, in the marathon. I ain't running a marathon anytime soon, but we know how last year's New Year's resolution went. But uh, I, I see myself running this marathon of faith, and I, and I get, and I'm, I'm just outside the stadium, and, it is, and I can hear the great cloud of witnesses inside the stadium. It's, it's kind of like a low roar, like a little buzz, just, and I can hear them cheering me on. Can you hear them cheering you on? Can you hear them saying, come on, you can do it, you can make it. I know the road is long. We've been there. We've done it before. But you can make it. And as the closer you get to the stadium, the roar gets a little bit louder. And then all of a sudden, you enter into the stadium. And you're running down the tunnel. And you're running down that tunnel. And all of a sudden, you see the lights of the stadium inside. And you hear the roar getting louder and louder and louder. And then you run through the tunnel. And the place goes bonkers and they go bananas over the fact that you've made it and you run into the stadium and this great cloud of witnesses there's paul and there's peter and there's abraham and there's moses and there's david and there's solomon and there's all these people cheering you on saying way to go you've done it you've made it and the place is just deafening this roar as you're running around the track to the finish line and then you take your final breath as you cross that finish line and then you take your first breath in heaven how awesome is that this great cloud of witnesses surrounds us cheering us on as we journey to our heavenly home and it's gonna happen it will happen. We will be there. We will be there together. Every single one of us will all be there, not by our own good deeds, not by our efforts, but by the grace of God. We will be together, and we will win the race. we got to keep going. We're going to talk about that for just a second. But we are protected. As we run this race, we are protected by God's power. That same power that lives in us protects us from fear, protects us from failure, and it protects our hearts and our souls, and it brings us home. Second blank on your outline is slide number four. Second blank on your outline is faith's proof. Faith's proof. Look at First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. In this you greatly rejoice, this salvation, this hope that we have. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls." The proof of our faith comes in the trials. It's the second blank on your outline. Faith's proof, trials. How many of you like trials? How many of you like tests of your faith? Anybody like a, a good faith test? No? Nobody likes trials. Nobody likes trials. 
And, and I tell you what, the question I get asked more than any other is why. It's the why question. Why am I going through this? Why am I going through this trial? Or we'll ask questions about situations going on around the world around us. You know, why do, why are baby, why do babies die before they're born? Or, or why do babies die uh, after like a month? Why does a young mom get breast cancer and have to suffer through chemotherapy? Why do, uh, why do good people lose their jobs? Why do companies lay off hundreds of workers and good people lose their jobs? Why do disturbed people walk into a school with a gun and shoot innocent children? Why? Why do these bad things happen? Why? We ask these questions all the time. Why does God allow these things to happen? The, Peter, the people of Peter's day were no different. They wanted to know why. They had put their faith and trust in this Jesus. They had left behind everything they knew, and they embraced this new faith, and they became Christians. And all of a sudden now, the Roman Empire is, is hauling them off and torturing them and executing them. Why is this happening? Why would God allow the Romans to do this to us? I mean, we're on the good team now, right? And we feel the same way. We're, you know, it's like, why is this happening to me? Why, why does this happen to us? Why is our family hurting? Why are we struggling? What, what's going on? How, how come God isn't answering this prayer? I mean, come on now. I've been a Christian for, well, I've been a Christian for 31 years. You would think, you would think that here I am, you know, God's little cheerleader here on earth, rah, rah. It's just boom, bah. Come on. Encouraging people to grow in their faith. Encouraging, you know, getting up preaching every week. You know, you would think that we, the, the preachers, right, we would have it easy. You would think that, we, you know, everything would be just peaches and cream and rose gardens all the time, right? And, and it is. You don't believe me? No, you know me too well. You know the struggles. You know the trials. I know your struggles. I know your trials. I know your tests. I know what you're going through. Because we sit down, we have those conversations. You pull me aside and say, I can't, I don't know what to do. I can't deal with this. And the question we ask is why? Why do we have to go through the trials? Why do we have to go through the tests? Why? The Bible tells us why. There in 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9. The reason we go through the tests is so that our faith is real. So that our faith is proved genuine. You see, when you want to refine gold, when you dig gold out of the ground, it's surrounded by gunk. It's got all this gunk in it. It's not pure. It's not valuable. It's not worth anything. So you've got to refine it. You've got to put it in a crucible. You've got to put it to the fire. And you put it to the fire. And the dross is removed. Much like that gold is our faith. It's got to go into the crucible. It's got to go into the fire so that the slag from our faith is removed. And our faith is genuine. And the Bible says that our faith is worth even more than gold. Gold is trading like about $1,500, $1,600 an ounce. God says that's nothing compared to your faith. Because gold will pass away. It's going to become pavement. But your faith lasts forever. You know, there's a lot of people who claim to be Christians. A lot of people say, I believe in God. 
We know him. We, we've met him. Maybe you. you know, I believe in God. I believe that God exists. Do you have faith? Do you trust him? Do you believe that he is there and that he is on your side and that he will strengthen you, that he will comfort you? Do you trust him? Because see, when the rubber meets the road, where the rubber meets the road is in the trial. It's in the test. James says, James says that we should rejoice in trials. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, we don't rejoice in trials. We don't rejoice in tests. We question and we doubt and we wonder why. Totally understandable. Totally human thing to do. I don't know anybody who likes to suffer. And if you do, what's wrong with you? I don't know anybody who likes the tests. I don't know anybody who likes the trials. But you know what? Sometimes when the tests come along and they go to refine our faith and they go to strengthen our, that's what they do. They strengthen our faith and they develop that perseverance so that when a, a bigger trial comes along, because you know what? When we're little, we have little trials. We have little tests. We have little problems. And the older that we get, the problems get harder. The tests get bigger. The trials get worse. You may know somebody. You may look at them and go, wow, look at their faith. They're so strong in their faith. You know how they got to be that way? They've been through the trial. They've been through the test. Maybe two. Maybe three. Maybe a hundred. Faith is developed. Faith is grown in the trials and in the tests of life. That is when our faith becomes real. That is when our faith becomes genuine. The real deal. Not a fake. Not when, because we've met people, you know people, I know people, who a trial comes along and say, you know what, I don't need this. I'm done. I'm walking away. Forget it. I don't need God. I don't need Jesus. I don't need, this is too much. It's too hard. That faith is not real. But it's when we're going through the trial. It's when we're going through the test that, that we grow and we learn to persevere. We learn to press on. And sometimes pressing on just means getting up and tying your shoes in the morning. I went through a really bad time 10 years ago, 11, uh, 10 and a half years ago. I was really, really depressed. I found out, found out something very interesting about myself. I've never shared this with you. I was diagnosed ten and a half years ago as being bipolar. That's a scary word, isn't it? Not more, nothing more scary than when it's you. Don't worry, I take my medicine every day. Every single day. Without fail. Every day. But I, I was diagnosed with being bipolar ten and a half years ago. And, uh, you know, I, I was in a very, very bad place. And I... I didn't want to live anymore. And until I got everything regulated and, and working right, there was, there was one song. It's the goofiest thing you'll ever hear in your life. There was a song 
that got me going and kept me going. And sometimes it's the goofiest things that will get you through. And it's the, the strangest things that will get you through. It was the song Up by Shania Twain. I may not look like the biggest Shania Twain fan in the world, but Shania Twain saved my life. That song kept me going, kept me persevering, kept me from losing my faith. Because it kept saying over and over again, every day I heard it over and over and over again. I listened to the song over and over and over again. It can only go up from here. And let me tell you something, my friends. Let me tell you something. When you hit the lowest point of your life, when you hit the rock bottom, when you hit the, the, the toughest times, that is when your faith is tested the most. That is when you're going through the, the darkest trials of your life. It can only go up. If you will persevere, if you will press on, don't give up. Never give up. It is not worth giving up. Don't give up, okay? Just trust me on this. Your faith will grow. You will get stronger. You will mature. And you will have a genuine, real faith that will carry you through the next trial and the next trial and the next trial until, like I said before, you cross that finish line into the waiting arms of Jesus. And he will be there and he will hold you and never let you go. Ever. You can do it. Let me encourage you today. You can make it. Press on and persevere. Because literally, it's going to go up from here. (laughs) The third blank on your outline. The final element is faith's goal. 1 Peter 1, 9 through 12. Through him, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels, even angels long to look into these things. The final element is faith's goal, and faith's goal is salvation. When it all comes down to it, the most important thing that we have is salvation. We go through the tests, we go through the trials so that our faith is proved real, so that our faith is proved genuine, and it leads to this wonderful goal, the salvation of our souls. And the prophets prophesied hundreds of years before Christ came, prophesied hundreds of years that God was going to send his son, that God was going to send a Messiah, that God was going to send a Savior to rescue and to ransom and to free the people. And it is through Jesus that we are freed. In Isaiah 53, if you turn over to Isaiah 53, I'm going to read the whole chapter. Isaiah 53 was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And this is what Isaiah said in 53. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God. Smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced. 
for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And Though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By, by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. We are the transgressors. That's us that he's talking about. That was written 2,800 years ago. And yet he was talking about us. We're the transgressors, transgressors. And we have committed the transgressions. And yet Jesus died for our transgressions. He died for our sins. He took them away. The Lord laid on him our punishment. The Lord laid on him our iniquity. I feel so bad for my little son. Because he's got no one to take the punishment for him. You all remember doing that? Like with your little brothers and sisters? You know, they get in trouble. It's like, oh, you know, deep inside you're thinking, oh, I wish they punished me instead. But you never say a word because you really don't want it. But, uh, you know, Jonathan doesn't have that. He doesn't have anybody to say, oh, let me take the punishment for him. Right? No, he gets it. Um, But God, God took all of our sins. And he heaped them on Christ. And Jesus said, I will take the punishment for them. I will take the punishment. I will die in their place. I will take the sins on myself. And I will die for their sins. And that is exactly what he did. And God knew, God knew the perfect time to send his son. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, it says, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might have received the full rights of sons. God sent his son, Jesus, to make us his children. We are the sons and the daughters of God because Jesus died for our sins. He gave up his life for us. He gave up his life so that we could be free, so that we could be saved. And now we're saved from our sins. We're saved from the consequences of our sin because Jesus took the consequences on himself. This is the hope that we have. This is where the joy comes from, that we can rejoice even in the trials. I I was thinking about this. Happiness is like a cookie. Somebody comes along, gives you a cookie, and you're happy, right? Oh, cookie. Whatever your favorite kind of cookie is. Maybe a snickerdoodle, chocolate chip, sugar cookie. It's Girl Scout cookie time. I've seen it on Facebook already. Thin mints. Two words, thin mints. Anybody got a favorite cookie? How many of it is the thin mint? Right there, yeah. You know, but happiness is like a cookie. Somebody comes along and says, here. Here's a cookie. Melissa's happy. She said, thank you. I have a cookie. She eats the cookie. Now she's sad. Why? Because the cookie's gone. Now, 
Happiness is like that cookie. It's dependent upon circumstances. It's dependent upon the situation. I have cookie. I eat cookie. I'm no longer happy. Joy is like getting a cookie factory. Because the cookies are always there. And they're always coming. The cookies, you can have one whenever you want. The cookies never stop. You own the factory. Need a cookie? Walk into the factory. Hey, give me a cookie. Here you go, sir. Thank you very much. Eat the cookie. I need another cookie. Get another cookie. Joy is like that. It never, ever ends. It never runs out. It's not dependent on our circumstances. It's not dependent upon our situation. Our joy is dependent on our salvation. And the salvation is like the cookie factory. It never closes. It never goes away. It never stops. This salvation that we have is eternal and forever. That's why, even when we're going through the tough times, even when we're going through the difficult times, you've met people like this. They're like, you know, they're going through the, the ringer, and it's like, where does the joy come from? It's because I know Jesus. Jesus died for me. Nothing's going to change that. Situation, cancer, somebody died. Somebody broke my heart. Somebody hurt me. That's temporary. It's like, that's, it's a temporary situation. My joy is eternal because my salvation is eternal. It never ends. It never stops. And even if we're going through a test, even if we're going through a trial, we have the promise of eternity. And God's promises Never fail. Ever. They never fail. You know what? You've been through trials. I've been through trials. You've been through tests. I've been through tests. One of the great things about being a Christian is that you're not alone. I'm not alone. You are in a room filled with people who've gone through tests and trials. This is what being a church family is all about. I like to encourage people to come to church. Not just because it's my job. But because we're a family. Because I need to see you. You need to see me. We need to see each other. There may be somebody sitting, look to your left, Look to your right. Look up in the balcony. Look down here, balcony people. We need each other. Because one of the things about going through trials and going through tests is that we can encourage each other when we're going through those trials, going through those tests. You are not the first person to go through the trial you're going through. You are not the first person to face the test that you're facing. Somebody has been there. And they have come through on the other side with their faith intact. It may be the size of a mustard seed. But Jesus said that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Not by your power, but by God's power. You're not alone. You will never be alone. Don't give up. Don't ever Ever give up. That is my challenge for you today. Is do not give up. You may be facing trials. You may be facing tests. Is it worth it? You may be wondering, is this worth it? Is, is getting up and going to church every Sunday even worth it? Is reading my Bible worth it? Is, is any of this even worth it? Yes, 
It is worth it. Don't give up. I have two action steps for you today. First one, if you're going through a trial, if you're going through a test, you're going through a difficult situation, I want you to read this week, Genesis chapter 37 through 50. The last part of the book of Genesis. It's the story of Joseph. Joseph went through tests. Joseph went through trials. And God took his life. And you will learn by the story of Joseph how God can take bad things and bring about good, good circumstances. That God can take bad situations and he can bring good out of them. So read Genesis chapter 37 through 50 and be encouraged. The second thing, my, challenge, my second challenge for you today is to encourage someone else. On your bulletin, you have a prayer list. Those are people going through tests. Those are people going through trials. Find someone to encourage this week. Look around you. Look and see the folks here sitting here with you today. Some people are going through some pretty tough stuff. You can encourage them. And if somebody comes to you and says, I want to encourage you, be encouraged. Don't put up a front. Don't say, oh, no, I got this. I'm fine. Two worst words that people can say. I'm fine. No, you're not. I'm not fine. You're not fine. We're going through stuff. Let someone encourage you. Let someone love on you. And be the person that God wants to use to encourage someone else. Let God use your experience in the trials and the tests that you faced to help someone in the trials and the tests that they're facing. And we will all grow. And we will all learn. And we will all get home safe and sound. Father in heaven, I do pray today for those who are facing these trials and these tests, the difficult situations and the difficult circumstances, the pain of life, the trials of life. And God, I pray today that you would give us perseverance and maturity and strength to face the trials. I pray that you would help us to encourage one another, to help each other grow and to strengthen each other in our faith. Thank you for the words of Peter. And I pray that this sermon series would be a blessing to those who hear it. And I pray that God, today, you would stir in our hearts and remind us of your love in everything. We pray these things in Jesus' name.